Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Partnership for the Arts, where we talk art. How are you doing today, Dave? <laughs> Feeling blessed, Kat. How are you today? I'm doing absolutely great today. Yeah. I just absolutely love doing the first part and I'm ready to delve into the second today. Again, part two of three, speaking with Isaac, that is Isaac Mingus, the double bassist for the Charlotte Symphony Orchestra. Our 30th show. Uh, congratulations to that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. And speaking of amazing, so was part one, huh? Oh, so amazing. Yeah. Story. Wow. That part one. We talked about his upbringing, some of the trials and tribulations he went through, father passing, him making a comeback. And as you well stated in the first part. It really, truly is an amazing journey. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Wow. <laughs> Tell you what, I think there's just so much more. There is. I think we're just uh, touching maybe the tip of the iceberg here. Right. But, oof. Yeah, and we're just getting started. I know. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my heart just, I don't know, it sings with it. it there you go. It stops and it sings and it's just like, this is so incredibly inspiring. You know, you're going to have to stop that as you're starting to embarrass him too. So, you ready to get started? I'm ready to get started, Dave. Okay, here we go. This is Partnership for the Arts. Come join us. As we explore the worlds of art. You can also find all of our episodes on our Facebook page, Partnership for the Arts Group Talk Show, or you can find us on our website at partnershipforthearts.group.org. This show was recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida. Good to see you again this morning, sir. Good morning, Isaac. Thank you so much for having me back. It really, truly is a pleasure to have you here. It is indeed. Isaac, if you don't mind, we'll get right into this because we've got a lot to cover. So here we go. You played with the Venice Symphony Orchestra. Let's talk about the next big step in your life. That is the State College of Florida. That's the State College of Florida. Um, I had a friend tell me about a director of music that I never heard of because she's a band instrumentalist and she plays the trumpet and I have no acumen about anything woodwind brass. So Robin Bell is a professor at State College of Florida in Bradenton. She's based there because that's their main campus and a friend of mine said, well, if you don't know what to do after your GED, go talk to Robin Bell. At the time I wanted to major in music or psychology, I wasn't sure, so I said, okay, well, this is a good first step for music, so I emailed her, and I sent a brief description of my resume, and she said, when can you come up to Bradenton to meet me? And I said, next week? Okay, fine, see you next Friday. And she w took time out of her day, which is an incredibly busy schedule. She runs two orchestras up there and is the director of this instrumental study program at this college, which has a decent number of students, given, you know, it's a community college in Bradenton. It's really quite full of of uh, varying performing arts and she walked me around the entire campus showed me everything there was to really show about Bradenton and said all right well the audition date is in July August somewhere in there you know if you if you you come between those times we have two separate dates and of course I chose the latter one so I could get a little bit more practicing under my belt and I didn't have any stipulation upon what I had to audition with I could audition with anything, so I oh. used the cadenza from Botticini's Second Concerto, and I played, uh, I think, Chanson Triste by Kusevitsky. And 
she's sort of, you know, right off the bat showed me what she could do. She she didn't uh, beat around the bushes at all. Uh, you know, she okay. gave me some critiques right at that audition. Um, even though she wasn't a bassist and even though she wanted me to come, she browbeat me right away. And especially because I forgot to bring scores for the adjudicators. And there were two adjudicators and I had no extra copies of my music. And I wasn't even reading off of the music. I had it memorized, but I didn't have multiple copies for them to each view. Jane Hoffman was a, is a, Dr. Jane Hoffman is a flautist and she was the flute professor there. And the two of them were looking at my audition. Anyway, she said, really? That's all you brought? And nervous right off. I didn't think I could be nervous. Again, another experience where I, right. I thought I was prepared and I was going to be fine. And I was nervous right off the bat. Anyway, um, I started there and she accepted me into the program as she does with anybody. But she also said, all right, you get a quarter scholarship for each ensemble you join in with. So I joined oh. into my four ensembles and I got full ride for the semester, which made it very affordable because I wasn't willing to dig into my Florida prepaid to pay for any of it because it was so cheap per credit hour as compared to the university system. So I said, okay, I'm either going to get a job and pay this through, or I'm going to gig more, or I'm going to do both, but I'm going to pay this and keep paying my car payments and all these other things. And how old were you at this time? So I'm 18 at this time, so it's so wow. still a lot of money we're talking about for right. me. This is a lot of money. Mm -hmm. um, so what a boon it was to hear, well, we give quarter scholarship up to 15 credit hours, and, you know, you have to take at least 12, you can't take more than 15, but you can get full ride if you take four ensembles. So I did, and anyway, she had me in the orchestra and both jazz bands and subbing for the concert band, I believe. Yes, so wow. it was a lot, but uh, there, there come four new performing ensembles for me to join in with in, in addition to the, my gigs in the Venice Symphony. So That's a know, full load. <laughs> it, put, it put an interesting season on me, which yeah. I was glad of, you know. So, your first season, mm -hmm. you were doing what? Well, I had the four ensembles aforementioned from the college, and I had uh, varying mercenary gigs um, for jazz players, and I was getting somewhat better at this time. Bob had beat me with a saxophone enough times um, <laughs> that I was starting to pick it up, so I was getting more and more gigs, and word of mouth was traveling around, and I was playing more. Uh, ergo, I was working nights with either the Venice Symphony or with jazz gigs, and I was also playing in these four ensembles. So, you know, it. in addition to the other academic classes that I took. Well, that's, I think, yeah. was what I was going to ask you is the other academics mm -hmm. along with this. Right. I just took the core requirements, which is what the Associates of Arts degree is designed to do, knock out all of the... Uh, general education right. requirements mm -hmm. so that when you get to university you can focus directly on your major uh -huh. so you're a true transfer student into a program um, so that's what I was doing I was taking my maths my uh, varying language arts classes and I had some fantastic uh, writing teachers in particular out of Pineview I was not prepared for these writing teachers uh, one of them was an Oxford grad then a Middlebury grad now she edits the Oxford Gazette or whatever the newspaper's called. I'm actually not familiar, unfortunately, but yeah, editor for Oxford, so she, she really, talk about another browbeater. Yeah. So I had some great academians at, uh, at, at State College of Florida. I want to get back to the music and, and with Robin Bell, because I want you to explain learning to play the cello. Ah, uh, yes, my uh, beloved bass in training, the smaller bass. 
It's uh, not a bass at all. It's a very different instrument, and I found that out the hard way because I showed up to the first orchestra rehearsal, and there were, I want to say, seven bass players of memory serves, but there were definitely okay. only two cellists. It should usually be the other way around mm -hmm. in any orchestra. So there was no point. Again, I'd, I'd had this fantastic education, both Chris Mink teaching me pro bono, so many hours of private education, and the Venice Symphony, and the Sarasota Youth Orchestra, and Allstate, I had such a gifted past on the double bass. And we were playing a bridge repertoire, and okay. we weren't playing the most serious repertoire, um, because of course it's a learning environment, it's a learning ensemble, so we're not diving into our Mahlers and our Sibelius. Uh, so I said, Dr. Bell, why don't I learn to play the cello? And rather than be your principal bassist, why don't I sit in the cello section and beef that up? And she said, okay, you have three days. <laughs> that's the audition. We were doing Einzugder Gladiatorin, um, your classic uh, circus theme, which was meant to be a serious, you know, it's entrance of the gladiator. So it's got a relatively difficult beginning with a chromatic scale down quickly in eighth notes. And uh, I didn't know a single thing about cello. So you had never played the cello I had never touched a cello. And this is a Wednesday with the audition on Friday, and the place where I was renting the AC went out. So I was in shorts and no t-shirt, just on a chair in my house, practicing for hours those three days, trying to get this out, sweating up a storm, that poor cello. I had to clean it every day, but it was a mess, and... I auditioned, I actually didn't even know to keep it directly between my two knees pointing outward. I tried to play it like a bass with it tilted <laughs> inward, so I laid my right leg over the front of it to keep it at the angle that I wanted it, and Robin sort of looked at me like she's never seen cello playing quite like that. Not sure if it's right, but I'm a trumpet player, so I'm not going to say it. Anyway, she gave me she gave me principal chair, and, the, and, the, and she put me in the presidential string quartet, which was just found that year, which was another scholarship on top of the full ride, um, which was extremely helpful, of course, um, to my financial bottom line. But of course, now I got to learn how to play the cello. I'm not just beefing up the section, now I'm leading the section, which was, uh, <laughs> oh boy. All I know is that I got into my first, uh, my first lesson with my cello professor, Fred Grotta, Florida Orchestra cellist, beautifully gifted musician. And he took one look at the way I was holding the cello and he put his hands up and crunched his face up and he said, no. <laughs> so that was my start. I remember when I called him for lessons and I said, Hi, my name is Isaac. Uh, I'd, li I'd like to take cello. I, I, I just got here to the college and I'm principal cellist and I need a teacher. And he said, Okay, how long have you been playing the cello? And I said, Three days. And he, <laughs> and he, 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 he was silent. <laughs> I, th I think he thought I was insulting him. Maybe I did accidentally. I was just trying to be honest. But... Um, <laughs> He, he was very uh, understanding and patient, but also pushed me along. So I picked up the cello, and now I actually own two cellos. I just acquired a lovely 1800s German cello that the violin shop in Tampa is restoring for me. It was in, a, in egregious shape, wow. but it's almost done. It's actually done this week. Wow. So I'm looking forward to having that in my hands, and I'm playing cello for the Venice Theater's Into the Woods, a Sondheim production. So that's a uh, cello has been a part of my life ever since that that first semester in 2015. That's great, and you got yourself into another one one of those hot water or cold water situations when you had to learn it in three days. <laughs> Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, the Ode to Joy, has a classic cello bass line, which is rapidly moving triplets. 
you know, papeta, 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 papeta. And the first second I pulled that out in a lesson, because of course that's what I want to look at immediately. I don't know how to do any of this, especially <laughs> want to look at this thing that I need to do, but don't know how to do for the presidential quartet. And he said, oh my gosh. <laughs> and he put his head in his hands. I, he's, a, he's an expressive individual. So he had no, absolutely no trepidation about putting his hand in. Uh, not Beethoven 9. I don't have to teach this three-day-old cellist Beethoven 9. <laughs> well, he did. <laughs> Plot twist, he did. <laughs> so he was feeling the hot water, too. <laughs> yeah. It was a, it was, I was a strain on Fred Grotto. <laughs> As Kim, he'll probably tell you. <laughs> but he was a really understanding and patient individual, so I, I'm grateful to him. Yeah, yeah. He's probably grateful to have you too. So, uh, but these are great. That's one yeah. way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's talk a little bit more about some of the other experiences you had with Robin Bell and some of the places you've played and, and the things you've been involved in. Or hasn't she dragged me? Um, <laughs> well, um, they they gave me so many opportunities to be sort of their poster child, which was a massive honor. And also a great responsibility because she had me managing the string quartet. Um, so I was the gigmeister for the string quartet. I set the repertoire, I set the rehearsal schedule and the gig schedule, and I negotiated price, etc., etc. The set list for the. So she had me doing that, which gave us some incredible experiences, including opening for Stephen King and John Grisham at one point. We've played in various concert halls around Manatee County that. I haven't even gotten an experience back in since that quartet, so fantastic experiences with the quartet. In January 2016, they submitted my name to represent the State College as the string soloist in the competition for a $2,000 scholarship at the Winter Symposium of Community Colleges in Florida, of which 28 colleges participate. And you won. Uh, I was victorious. I won. And I play the Dragonetti Concerto in front of a few hundred people at that symposium. But they wouldn't let me be a bassist competitor and also a bassist in the orchestra. So they put me on cello in the orchestra. And they gave me okay. principal chair of the symposium orchestra too. And I was only a few months into playing the cello. So that was a little bit stressful too. Because now I have all these <laughs> community college cellos. It's sort of like the all state for community colleges. Um, for state colleges, and so these adept cellists are surrounding. Oh boy, um, here we go again. This is this sounds familiar. <laughs> um, so we got to perform. If I remember correctly, it was a Sibelius. No, it was a Schubert. It was a Schubert a reduction of a Schubert symphony, and we also played a Yo-Yo Ma feature. It's got to be a Yo-Yo Ma feature. Of course, it's got to be a Yo-Yo Ma feature. So uh, we we had a cello solo in that that I had to play. The, the section ended up playing it as a soli, which was lovely having some backup. But um, that was a great experience, the Winter Symposium. Beyond that, uh, the next year actually, Robin had me in the Presidential Jazz Quartet, which was founded in the 2016-2017 academic year. Moved me out of the string quartet, put me in the jazz quartet, and she had me managing that too. So we got to go to New Orleans for the uh, GEN, the GEN conference, the Jazz Education Networks conference in New Orleans in 2017. Beautiful, very cold, um, <laughs> fantastic musicians everywhere I looked, really scary good, famous names like Branford Marsalis. Oh, wow. Jeff Coffin and, you know, Alice Marsalis, they were all there and all playing. And Wonderful. Great experiences. That was 
with the jazz quartet and dr pete carney was the professor advising us he drove us to new orleans in a van i don't know how he survived <laughs> all four the jazz quartet we can all tell you about that wonderful experience and uh <laughs> after that she brought me back to the symposium in 2017 that was also in jacksonville the first year was at the university of north florida the 2017 symposium was at Jacksonville University, and that's where I was selected to be the only bassist in the symposium jazz band, and we played some fantastic repertoire there. Now, Isaac, what about the National Wind Ensemble, right? I'm sorry, one more story that I forgot. Um, boy, it was a long <laughs> two ahead. years. Yeah, we did a lot. Things are speeding up. So many things are coming in at a faster rate for you, and that's right. that's a lot to handle. Uh, well, so. the college brought me to all these academic environments in addition to the extracurricular professional environments right. I was in. So in 2017, we went to Kansas City, just myself and a baritone saxophone player from the college, to the United States National Wind Ensemble played Mussorgsky's pictures at an exhibition with a 105-piece wind ensemble. And wow. it was myself and another bass player. So the two of us backed up 103 other people, <laughs> all with much louder instruments. Incredible, yeah. yeah. So it was it was incredible. It really was, yeah. I just remember flying back from a, a, a fun story from that. I flew back and I sat in the front row of the Sarasota Orchestra the day after flying back out on one hour of sleep. I, f I sat in the front row of the Van Wezel Hall in Sarasota to hear Mahler's first symphony in which there's a bass solo. So of course I went because there's a right. bass solo and because mm -hmm. my bass professor, John Miller, was playing the solo. He was so mad at me. Why are you in the front row? What is this? <laughs> An audition? A jury? Why are you in the front row? <laughs> Well, I was there in the front row. So he did a great job, but I fell asleep in the front row for the Rococo Variations by Tchaikovsky. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't snoring or anything, but... <laughs> Beatrice Friedman, one of the major donors to the Sarasota Orchestra, was a few seats down from me. And I knew many of the Sarasota Orchestra violinists and bassists and cellists, and two of the violinists in the second violin section saw me woke up with a start when it went from the Adagio section of the Rococo Variation... <laughs> the Allegretto <laughs> and, <You're right. laughs> and, <I woke. laughs> and from the stage I've got these SO musicians laughing at me <laughs> in the front row That's in the front right. row and John Miller's looking at me shaking his head in the middle of the performance he's oh his eyes are just <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> I'm trying to make too many things work that's what I'm doing <laughs> but yeah. anyway that was the apex of my academic career with uh, all the great things that Robin Bell brought me around to uh Kansas City and the Kaufman Center, a $420 million hall in the middle of Mississippi. Wow. Fantastic. Wow. Ricardo Muti's uh, the, the conductor of the Chicago Symphony. He hails it as his favorite hall in the world. Oh. So it was a beautiful yeah. hall. Really fantastic. I'll have to look that up. It sounds magnificent. Yeah. And yeah, while we were there, all of these other colleges like the University of Texas, Yale University, all sorts of great wind ensembles that are basically better than professional wind ensembles because all they do is is play together right um, they're yeah. not gigging higher mercenaries they're just a group an ensemble that moves as a unit and they were incredible um you know works such as the uh, the eyes of the world are upon you the eyes of texas are upon you is one of the state uh so i i believe it's yeah. the state's anthem but the eyes of the world are upon you refer to legislation that allowed guns back on campuses after the University of Texas Austin shooting. And it was the University of Texas Austin band that actually performed it. And it was a moving work I still haven't forgotten. 
Okay, we're going to take a quick break and uh, we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Kit Moran, visual artist and jazz singer, and I listen to Partnership for the Arts Talk Show. Okay, we are back and we want to make sure that we thank Kit Moran for that spot. Isaac, let's uh, move on to some other subjects here. Uh, All right. Want to talk about some of the influences in your life and some of the favorite music that you enjoy? No, I mean, for starts, my grandfather is a gifted pianist. Um, he was taught only one lesson and he learned the F scale and so he only knows how to play in the key of F. Of course, he plays in every key because he hears something once and he can play it instantaneously. I'm not sure what sort of a schematic mind you have to have to do that. I don't have it. I wish I did, but he's the gifted musician and... Uh, you know, one time I came in and he was playing on, on all black keys and I said, Grampy, what key are you in? And he said, I'm in F. And I said, Grampy, you don't have a single key under your finger that fits into the key of F. <laughs> and he said, no, I'm in F. These are accidentals. Anyway. <laughs> so, you know, Grampy, Grampy, uh, Grampy starts with the music in my family. Of course, my father was a clarinetist. My mother actually played flute in high school. You know, my second father, Chris Mink, pushed me along. Chris Mink being the instructor that was at Pineview. Yes, the, mm -hmm. the orchestra director of Pineview is also a bassist. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the famous, well-known musicians, on the recordings, my namesake, Charles Mingus, is a great bassist. You know, I, I listen to his music uh, with some regularity because it's not the traditional sense of jazz. Mm -hmm. He pushed the envelope. Yes. Um, in a lot of ways. And he pushed a lot of people away doing it. He was also a very belligerent man. And would often, how shall we say it, uh, put the fellow band members in place? <laughs> Verbally or physically. Or physically, yes. Physically. Um, you know, I actually asked Dick Hyman one time if he had ever played with Charles Mingus because he and I were just messing around in a rehearsal for that trio that I alluded to last show. And we had been talking about the famous bass players he's played with and he was just getting through talking about playing with Paul Chambers and I said well mm. did you ever play with the real Mingus and he thought for a second and he said no but do you know how I know I haven't and I said how <laughs> and he said my bass player never broke my nose on a gig so <laughs> that's right that's right um, <laughs> I remember thinking, well, that's a testimony if I've ever heard it. <laughs> but Charles Mingus was nevertheless a great bass player. Mm -hmm. You know, erratic perhaps, but the artistic mindset, shall we just put it. And, uh, you know, Dick has been a great um, influence. Bob Miner's been a great influence on me. Famous musicians, going back to them. Uh, Edgar Meyer is one of the famous bass players of our time. And he's the Curtis Institute's professor of double bass. And he's widely regarded as one of the best bass soloists ever live. Yes, and I, I listen to his, his interpretations of the Bach cello suites, the Bodicini concertos, um, and more as much as I can. And I've had some great experiences playing with relatively well-known people. Um, Alexis Cole is a touring musician. She's based out of SUNY in New York, and she got her master's at the University of Miami. She came through for a tour at Boca Grand and also up in Sarasota, and I got to play with her trio in Sarasota. We played wow. wonderful interpretations. Um, John Sari is a touring musician. Right. And he's currently in the south of France. He was in Italy, and he came over to the United States for just a short time. He's Grammy-nominated. He's a wonderful pianist, and I got to right. play in his trio. All of his own original compositions, brutally difficult, a lot of fun. 
Lots. Mickey Basil is a Grammy-winning pianist in Fort Myers. He pulls me in whenever he can to play, and it's such a treat because he's 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 of the artistic temperament too. And some people <laughs> don't get him, and I get him. We get we get along very well, and Mickey is such a kind and uh, loving individual, and so adept at what he does. And of course, locally here in Punta Gorda, there's the George Mancini Senior. Right, I've played countless gigs with him now, and uh, his daughter Michelle Kasanowski is an incredible vocalist and pianist as well. I did um, a production with her at the Venice Theater, and his son George Jr. is a great trombonist. And Mm -hmm. I understand there's a George III coming up on trumpet. There is, yes. So that entire Mancini clan, he's got a grandson that I went to Pineview with, Michael Mancini. I, okay, I didn't know you, you uh, knew Michael. I yeah. do know Michael, yeah. We were ships passing in the night. He was a year older, and he quit the Pineview Jazz Band the year before I started it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, Michael and I have gotten to do a couple a couple numbers together now since he would Great. show up to George Sr.'s gigs and yeah. sit in. Because, of course, you know George has got to push his grandson out there and show everybody his talent, and he's talented. Yes, <laughs> yes. So the Mancini yeah. clan has collectively, Man- Mancini-Kasanovsky clan has had a collective influence on me as well so i have to ask Hmm. out of all of that and and i know the answer to this because i I asked it before of all the people that you've collaborated with that you've worked with can you actually pick a favorite Ooh, Ooh. (laughs) it's a loaded question that's a tough (laughs) okay i think just just take your time Hmm. No. <laughs> He's not gonna do it. I can't. I can't. I'm so. I really can't. I, I have uh, so much to say about everyone, and we don't have five shows. So. Um, <laughs> well, you know, there there are so many names I could just throw out there, but I will say that the one I consistently work with that really strikes me as a favorite would be the maestro right around the corner here, the Charlotte oh, Symphony's conductor, Ponte. Maestro Raffaele Ponti. Mm-hmm. 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 He he's got a gravitas about him that commands a. Commands a room, an orchestra full of adept musicians ranging from Miami to Albany. They come around to create the Charlotte Symphony. Though it is truly a local orchestra, there are plenty of local people in it too. And, you know, Cindy Gillespie, the uh, personal director, pulls together this orchestra for Maestro and he, and he whips it into shape. <laughs> right, right. And we are going to learn more about that when we come back from break because um, I'm going to ask you a question with, I guess, a little bit of trepidation when we come back and I I just don't want you starting out with no when I start asking you about some other favorites. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. We'll be right back. Hi, my name is George Mancini and I listen to Partnership for the Arts and it is a rewarding experience. Okay, so we are back and we want to make sure we give a, a big thanks to George Mancini for that that drop in. Someone we, we all know and admire. Right? Hmm. Kat, have you actually had a, the pleasure of meeting George Mancini? No, I haven't. Oh. Not in person, oh. no. We'll, yeah. we'll have to work on getting back together. Though. I, we, uh, we get together with him, have a dinner with him and lovely, charming wife, Patty. Oh, to, I'd love that. You'll have to join oh, us wow. at the next one. Yes. Uh, Definitely a treat, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> what an individual one. If you think I have stories, wait until you hear from George. <laughs> yeah, George has, uh, 
George has got a life full of stories, and he's traveled around the world as well. Yes, he yeah. has. Yeah. Played Fantastic. many, many different places. Uh, okay, so Isaac, here goes the next question. How about some of your favorite memories of some of the people that you've worked with? Well, I've, I've gotten to share in the last show about, you know, Dick Hyman mm-hmm. um, yeah. really putting me through my paces. I've, I've gotten to share a couple of varying uh, things about falling asleep in orchestras, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I guess uh, one, one story that I haven't shared was with John Sari up at the Temuco White House, which is in the Orlando area. It's a two-story location that was converted to a concert hall just so that concerts could come through and when uh, Benoit Glazer heard who runs the Tumaco White House heard that John Sari was back in the United States he said why don't you come with your trio up here and long story with that but I was playing John Sari's repertoire which was intended for a six string electric bass on the upright with four strings and that was taxing on my hand and I gave myself tendonitis so I had to play that show with tendonitis. We recorded it. We have a recording out on the Tumuka White House um, website. The trio from that February concert, Mark DeRose, came over from Boca Raton. He's a fantastic percussionist. And I just remember being so afraid of John Sari's talent on stage that at first I couldn't really overcome the pain, but then he really put the fear of keys in me, you know? Um, (laughs) (laughs) These waterfalls of sound and incredibly complex chordal structures. Um, He's an Eastman graduate. He majored in percussion there, but he called himself the Jazz Stravinsky. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, (laughs) That's quite a designation to give yourself, but uh, he he really tries to earn it because he goes far off the deep end um, with his with his music and uh, beautiful, wonderful, fast, brutally difficult repertoire. Oh, wow. <laughs> anyway, uh, that, that was one of my favorite. I just, when you watch this promo video on the White House, on the Tumuka White House website, you can see I'm rather timid at first and it looks like I'm just scared, but it's, I'm scared, but I'm, <laughs> I'm in pain. I'm in egregious pain with my left hand, which is of course pretty paralyzing. But as the video goes on, I'm like, you know what? Whatever. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're into your music. I got, I got to play now. Right, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm busy. Pain can come later. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? You know, so once sell, you, you know, You really, yes, right. Once you delve in, you have to really get into a place uh, emotionally. You know, I, I would be lying if I said that every time I got on my bass, I felt this connection to the music um, that transcended some some sort of physical imperative right and pain is a serious physical imperative Mm -hmm. um i've had to i had to cut orchestras at the time because of the tendonitis i was cutting out of orchestras not playing certain beethoven symphonies etc so i just pushed through this this one specific concert to play this repertoire and that was that was interesting to me i really didn't feel the pain for a short moment of time yeah that's a favorite moment i don't know if that was because i was enjoying myself so much or if I felt like you know, quarterly being hunted by uh, John Sari. <laughs> but it was an experience and I, I yeah, treasure it. Yeah. So. Okay, so moving on, you had mentioned one of your favorites, of course, the Maestro Ponte. The local, yes. Yeah. So how about we, we go into that Charlotte Symphony Orchestra? It didn't start out quite as planned, did it? <laughs> well, I just mentioned the orchestra that I cut the, the week of a Beethoven symphony. That was Charlotte. Mm-hmm. That was my okay. first oh. concert. 
It was the November series in 2016, and my hand was in such brutal pain that there was no way I was going to pull off Beethoven Symphony 3. And I had been practicing, and I was actually a substitute. So they had to get a sub for the sub. Um, and Cindy, the personal director, was very understanding. I, I texted her and I said, it was on Monday with the first rehearsal being on the Saturday, and I said, I'm so sorry, but I cannot play. I cannot be playing Beethoven. So she subbed me out, and I thought that my chances were gone because I was hired for just substituting for November that year and January of 2017 with Death and Transfiguration to the Strauss. Right, and the wonderful thing for all of us is <laughs> you weren't fired. You actually saw her in January. She, she saw me in January. Right. You, then you went on to practice for the 2017 season. And you told me, but I, I don't remember, what was it you were playing? We were playing this ridiculously difficult Strauss tone poem. Um, Don Quixote and Einheld and Leib and others by him are, they, they strike fear and, and alarm into bass players because of how difficult they are. <laughs> I just, oh my gosh, what, what is Strauss thinking? But if Death and Transfiguration had its tricks and its licks, and you, it was something I practiced and came to the first rehearsal, and the caliber was the highest that I'd ever experienced in an orchestra at, at the time. And oh, where am I? You know, it was another Venice Symphony Hot Water moment. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is a different level. This is, you know, I, I'm in a new strata, and the stakes are very high because I've heard of this Maestro Ponti, and I've heard that he's quite. A Marnet, you know, he's a musical genius, mm -hmm. and he's incredibly adept as a conductor, and that means he's going to hear things. So you're going to want to know your part, or he's going to pick you out of a lineup. And um, I know that he's that talented, but coming out of the second rehearsal, we were on intermission between the first two halves of the rehearsal. We had a quick break to let our, let our musicians rest. Given this is the second rehearsal, so I would say we were four and a half hours into rehearsing this repertoire. Okay. Charlotte Symphony does a multi, you know, three rehearsals and a concert in a weekend. That's usually their schedule. So we did one three-hour rehearsal earlier that day. Here we are an hour and a half into the second rehearsal, and all four, of our, all four of the bass players are standing in a line. And he's walking around the stage by us, and then he stops when he gets to us, and he looks at us. And he looks at each of us sort of dramatically like in a movie, right in the eyes. <laughs> And I'm about to shake in my shoes visibly. You know, I'm, I'm in trouble now. I'm just, oh, no. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what is he going to say? And I don't, you know, because I don't know him at this point. Right. I, I'm brand new to this symphony. This is my second rehearsal. And what are we doing wrong? What's he going to say? What's he going to say? And he points at each of us in the same way he looked at us. And then he says, I like this bass section. This is going to be the section next year. And then he walks off. <laughs> so... So that's, how, so that's, we all four got our full contracts, and so the 17-18 season that we just concluded in April of this year with a Firebird suite was the four of us, Spencer, William, Chris as principal, and myself. That's so, great. Usually towing up the back yeah. of the section, <laughs> that's me, <laughs> and I'm very content because I, incredible bass players, um, it's a real pleasure to serve with them. Yeah. yeah. So. Isaac, let's back up there for just a minute because I don't think we talked about how you actually got to the point where you were auditioning with the Charlotte Symphony Orchestra. That Cindy put out an email. Cindy, Cindy Clesby is the personnel director. Okay. So Cindy is a fantastic personnel director. She's also principal trumpet of the symphony. Oh. And she has 
lists a mile long. She knows everybody in the state. She's been here for 25 years in Florida. Yeah. And there's not a single thing that escapes her eye. You know, she, she's, she's adept. She, she really knows everything, just like Maestro. She knows everything that's going on from her vantage as Principal Trumpet. And she can um, just about see everybody. And she hears, musically hears everything so well. So she had a substitute list. Mm -hmm. And she sent emails to a lot of us about the November series in 2016 and the January series in, 20, in 2017 that she needed subs for. And I happened to get her email at 11.30 at night. I responded at 11.40 at night. Uh, the, the, <laughs> night that, the night that I got that email. And she got several other responses saying, yes, I can play those series, but I was the first one to respond. So you... Oh, okay. So I was on... Yeah, I was recommended by Chris Riley, the principal, to be on the sub list. And okay. so I was one of the substitutes offered the position as uh, okay. filling in for those series. So you said... 11.30 at night. What were you doing up at 11.30 at night? I was practicing John Sarah's music. <laughs> <laughs> that's practice, it. practice, practice. That's a true story. I was, I was, on, I was practicing John Sarah's music. He, he produced an album called Enchantress, and Enchantress is a super quick tune that's a Latin beat, okay. and I was practicing that like crazy, and I was on hour two or three of that, so I took a break. Of course, my hand is hurting at this time, too, because I've really done my done my hand in on this repertoire mm -hmm. and and I see this music well of course I was like well my hand hurts and I'm inundated with John Sari in school yeah sure I'll take on the Charlotte Symphony sure <laughs> whatever that is <laughs> whatever that is <laughs> here we go again yeah. well I mean Beethoven 3 is a lovely symphony so I said sure I'd love to play Beethoven 3 and then Death and Transfiguration never heard of it but Strauss is always a challenge so mm. yeah. let's go with Strauss sure here we go Again, <laughs> more hot water. I'm like right. a lobster at this point. I was just gonna say yeah. that. <laughs> so, that's how that all happened. In my long tangential process, that's how that all happened. Okay, so let's get into your actual first onstage performance, Charlotte Symphony Orchestra. Death and Transfiguration. We also played uh, the Emperor Concerto. Um, by Beethoven, the piano concerto number five. Mm -hmm. And we played something by a Wagner, which was an overture, and it's so obscure that I couldn't Google it and find it. The maestro likes stuff like that. We, we played in January of this year, actually, something, a symphony by a composer by the name of Zgimbadi. You know, you know, say that three times fast and try to spell it for me. I'm sure you can really call the tune to mind, you know, um, whistle it for me. So, um, you know, the maestro loves stuff like that, um, which I appreciate because that's, that's great music. It's just not the, the war horses. So, and I'm sure Charlotte County appreciates it too. So anyway, we've got the, these three wonderful pieces of repertoire and I still haven't found a recording that I think sounds better than the Charlotte Symphony did for that concert with Death really? and Transfiguration. Um, it was sublime, and uh, there was a presence in the hall, just an audience aghast at the sound they were hearing because Strauss meant to start it with this heartbeat that comes out of the timpani and out of the viola section as well, uh, the conception of life, and then it ends, of course, with this dramatic ascension to heaven and this tranquility um, but the the piece is also fraught with all sorts of tribulation and dark sounding uh, maelstroms almost Mahler-esque so it's 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 a very moving work it's heavy the orchestration is 
onerous. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know. It, it moved me in a way that I hadn't been moved before. That's what I appreciated so much about the Charlotte Symphony the first time I played there. It's what I appreciate to this day. We played uh, Williams this March, and we played it with tempos so quick, I don't think Williams conducted them with a the Boston Symphony that quick. You know, talk about putting us through our paces. It was fun. We played Harry Potter, and um, I, I think Harry would have gotten a speeding ticket. You know? <laughs> so. Wow. wow. But when, when you said that performance just absolutely moved you, would you say that was a, a highlight performance experience for you? I mean, was that one of the most moving experience that you had and how would you say that impacted you in terms of elevating you or growing you i think that that was another uh it, it was sort of like climbing up to a new a new plateau a new like i said earlier a new strata mm -hmm. of playing um it was repertoire that was extremely difficult and i played difficult repertoire before but i hadn't quite played stuff that difficult um at least not to that level okay. you know with that polish so it was extremely complicated music but and taxing music, but it was polished by the performance and it came across beautifully. That was something I had not fully experienced. So that, that impacted me in, in the sense that it was emotion expressed through high acumen players all working as a team on this taxing repertoire. But I... I would never consider myself on the level of the bass players that I work with. Um, they're, they're, they're fantastic musicians, um, storied players, and esteemed teachers, and unbelievable in terms of their ability. But I blend well. That's one of the things I enjoy playing with better players for, is that I, I'm like a chameleon. Um, okay. I try to be yeah. anyway, musically a chameleon. And, uh, the Charlotte Symphony bass section is a tight-knit group of individuals. We get along very, very nicely. Um, we go out for lunch on break, and we go out, um, just hang out sometimes when all of us are in town. Two of them are from the Orlando area. Um, I go over, and, and Chris Riley and I, Teresa Riley is his wife, we, have, we teach together at the Venice Symphony okay. summer camp. We spend time together outside uh, at lunch. And anyway, moving together, you know, it's almost like you can feel all of our bows tethered into each other when you're in a section that tight um, emotionally and musically um, so that's that was a new experience for me absolutely um, because while trying to play with other players before I wouldn't always find that connection with this right. connection we moved as a as a unit yeah. and and the maestro noticed and the rest of the orchestra I think noticed so yeah I like that I that that the way you express it that we were you know, you moved like you're tethered together. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, and I get that. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Isaac, before we run out of time. Yes. Uh, speaking of favorite moments, do you have any playing with Maestro Ponte? All right, there's one in particular. And I can say this now that I'm 21. The Maestro is the type of guy that once you get to know him, you're not as qu quite as uh, brutally intimidated by this scary, scary... No, he's just a very... <laughs> kind and, and warm individual. He's brilliant, as I've said before, so he's the kind of guy you'd want to go out and get a beer with and just listen to him speak. Um, I even asked him one time if he'd teach me conducting lessons. And oh. I, Yes, I remember this because it was hilarious. Um, I was playing a show with a man named Tom Ellison uh, for George Mancini Sr.'s daughter, Michelle Kasanovsky. Oh. It was at the Venice Theatre. We were doing a production of Dreamgirls as it was performed on Broadway, and Tom said, you play for the Charlotte Symphony? And I said, yeah, this guy named Maestro Ponti. Directing, he's like, wait a second, Raffi Ponti? Well, nobody calls him Raffi Ponti unless they know him. 
Rafi is a, is a nickname. So Tom said, well, I directed an orchestra. When I left the orchestra, Rafi took over for me. So they <laughs> knew each other, small world. Anyway, I went and I talked to, to Maestro Pontibat, and he said, oh, get out of here. Tom Ellison's still alive? I mean, he's around? <laughs> yep, they're all around. And, 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 and of course, they're good old. And he said, say hi for me. And I got up the courage, and I said, well, would you mind teaching me conducting lessons at any time? Because I'm very... And he said, no, I don't want to screw you up. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't... But I will say that that was a quick aside. Well, not so quick anyway. Okay, so with that being said, we're out of time. Oh, no, I can't believe it. Yeah, Already? Yeah. And the fact that I'm also out of coffee. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm running a little bit low here, too. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to wrap up part two. We will be back for part three. And I can't wait. Right, of our interview with Isaac. Uh, again, thank you for coming on the show. Oh, yeah. there's so much more. <laughs> but yes, you don't know how inspiring you are. And it was yeah. just so great to have you on this show. Thank you both. I think you are embarrassing, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <They> are. <laughs> Kat, I'm going to say have a good day. You too, Dave. <laughs> okay. okay. Everyone, thanks for listening to Partnership for the Arts, where we talk art. This is Partnership for the Arts talk show. Thanks for joining us. As we explore the worlds of art. You can find this and other episodes on our Facebook page, Partnership for the Arts Group Talk Show, or you can find us on our website at partnershipforthearts.group.org. This show is recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida.